Hi there, welcome to the Lancaster Golf Performance Podcast. My name is Cam Lancaster, founder and head of instruction for Lancaster Golf. So today we're going to talk a lot about the mental game. So to me, if you don't have a lot of time to practice on your game or you're a high level player looking to get that 1% extra, to me the, where you can make the biggest gap for improvement is in the mental side of things, right? Now if we have a process to be able to go about that mental game, then we can get there you know, a lot faster where maybe we develop over a five year period, we can try and figure out a way to develop this mental game in six months. I really enjoyed just going through this. It was more of a, an open, open concept as to some of the learnings that I've had as a player and a coach this summer, observing a lot of playing lessons, giving a lot of lessons, and also just really making an active effort to develop my own game. I hope you enjoy the show and best of luck with your own game. I'd like to take a moment just to thank some of my supporters. First off, by thanking the Golfers Academy. I'm a performance coach there. And if you don't know about the Golfers Academy, Jason, the owner there, does an amazing job in terms of focusing on strictly player development of all levels. We have six TrackMan bays there. We do virtual golf. We also do TrackMan lessons. There's about five coaches there. Coaches who are all, to me, you know, at the top of their field. I'm a junior coach, high performance coach. A club fitter who also does coaching as well too and then jason is a coach there as well too so if you're looking for uh, lessons over the winter i'd highly recommend checking us out there at the golfers academy we have six trackman bays a putting green and you know it's really just it's centered around golf improvement which is one of the rare places in ontario that is just strictly for that usually we have there's a lot of indoor places that you know have bars and and you know they're they're more for entertainment but for us it's all about how do you get better at your own golf game and I also like to thank the golf club that I'm a uh, director of instruction at, a Mystic Golf Club in Ancaster, Ontario. So if you don't know about Mystic, it's a 7,400-yard golf course, which is pretty rare for Ontario because we usually have a little bit shorter courses. To me, I think that's more because we have older courses and the weather is typically colder. But Mystic is truly a championship golf course, and it's always in great shape. So if you're looking to challenge your game and, or you're just looking to get beat up and have a good time and understand what championship golf is about, I'd recommend checking it out. Okay, guys, so welcome back to the Lancaster Golf Performance Podcast. It's been quite a while since I've released an episode, and it's really due just to the fact that I've been so busy teaching this summer at a couple of my academies at Mystic Golf and then at the Golfers Academy in Burlington. And, you know, that's kind of what I wanted to dive into today is the, all the learnings that I've had during the summer. It's been, uh, you know, quite transformative to me in, in terms of my own game, and that's probably where I'm going to spend a lot of my time talking about today. So, you know, just in terms of my own game, I believe as you know first and foremost as a coach if anyone's listening here to me the the most systematic way to improve yourself as a coach is to approach it approach it as a student right so for me i've made a rule for myself that you know for every hour that i coach i'm going to at least spend an hour putting into my own game and then learning about the game right so the, you know a lot of people from the outside looking in might see this as a bit of a selfish pursuit but for me it really helps me look at things through the lens of okay what does a player actually need to improve in his own game or her own game and that goes for golfers of all levels right so i spend sometimes you know in within that hour extra that i spend i'm going to spend probably 20 minutes on the basics of the game that really help the beginner clients that i have and then on you know in the other 20 minutes a bit more of the intermediate stuff with the average golfer you know in that range of 5 to 20 handicap and then you know, the other, the other 20 minutes is more on the higher level stuff, right? So let's just speak to, you know, what, what are some of the things that you can be doing in your own game if you don't have a lot of time to practice, which is about 90% of golfers, 
and you want to see improvements year by year, right? And I think a lot of it, you know, all of it really starts in the mind. We can work on technique, you know, we can work on better short game strategies, but at the end of the day, if you have semi-decent technique and a lot of hours to put into the game, then you're going to get a lot better. But that whole thing about the hours is where you just don't have that and you end up not being able to generate good feels, right? So if you can show up to the golf course every day and, and go through your round in a calm state, in a centered state, then I think that's a really key thing, right? So, you know, you're making improvements in the mind because really, if you can approach every shot in a, in a way where you're grounded, you're not emotionally charged and, you know, you're almost in this attitude of what I call indifference, meaning, you know, if it's a good shot, it rolls off your back. If it's a bad shot, it rolls off your back. And even the way you approach holes, you don't approach holes as a hard hole or an easy hole. This is just another hole for an opportunity to, you know, make, make a good birdie or a par, right? So I, I like to look at, okay, what, it, you know, it's great to work on the mind, but what is a process to where we can improve our mindset? And a lot of it starts with deep breathing for me. The one resource I'd really encourage you checking out is uh, the Joe Rogan podcast that he did with uh, Hicks and Gracie. And Hicks and Gracie is one of the, well, probably the, you know, one of the fathers of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and widely regarded as one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu players of all time. And he talked a lot about how in, in his uh, experience, you know, rising to the top in jiu-jitsu, he really relied on breathing techniques and, you know, simple stuff like, doing reverse breathing, meaning breathing all the air out of the deep pit of your stomach using your the deep part of your lungs and then and then breathing in that air. So you're letting out stale air, then taking in really good air. Now this is I've I've used specifically this breathing technique, not to any certain cadence, but I I like to use it, you know, really every time before I play and I start breathing, you know, consciously breathing about two hours before my tea time. So say I have a nine AM tea time I'm actually going to wake up a little bit earlier, probably around 7 a.m., do a bit of a stretching routine. Within that stretching routine, I'm going to be really ensuring that my breath is working well on the ride over the course. You know, I'm going to put on some calming music. I'm going to breathe deeply, get to the range, breathing as I go through my routine, and even incorporating that breath work into the pre-shot routine. So let's talk about that for a second, the pre-shot routine. So I find that if you can bring yourself to a state of calm right before you're going to pull the trigger on your golf shot, then it allows you to be able to not get panic, panicky in any moment, right? Because there, there's an undeniable fact about playing golf that every day you go out to the course, no matter what, even if it's the best day of your, of your career or, you know, the, the worst day, you're going to face shots out there that are going to make you feel very uncomfortable. And that's just an inevitable fact, right? So if you have some sort of mental trigger to be able to allow you to feel at least somewhat calm in that moment, then you can get through those moments and focus on, you know, the little feels in your swing that you're trying to do, right? So how exactly does this breath work for me? So, you know, just go a little bit through my pre-shot routine, just, a, a, you know, this isn't the full thing, but just little parts of it. So I don't want to ice myself over a shot, meaning I don't want to be standing over a shot if there's a group in front of me. So I really just try and tune out of what I'm doing. And as soon as the group is clearing, I'm doing my yardage calculations. I'm, I'm getting the target that I really want to see. And then from there, I'm going to visualize the ball flight. And then the breathing part comes in after this. So I'm standing behind the ball, about five to six feet behind the ball. After I've seen the ball flight a few times, very clearly in my mind and in my eyes, I'm going to really push all the breath out the deep pit of my stomach. And, you know, even try and just like hear a little bit of a noise coming from my mouth, right? So out through the mouth. And then 
slowly as I walk into the ball. I'm going to walk in very slowly. I'm, I'm taking in breath and really trying to fill up my stomach with air. And then as I get over the ball, I just go and I let it all out. And I, I found for me that, you know, especially moments where I'm struggling with my nerves because I, I'm, I, I would say I'm the type of golfer that struggles more with my nerves than others. It's allowed me to, you know, not be able to get rid of the nerves because I don't think you can get rid of them, but be able to handle them and actually use them to my benefit, right? So a perfect example of this would be, uh, you know, playing, you know, let's say I'm, I'm doing a playing lesson with one of my clients and, you know, for me, that's actually more pressure than playing in a tournament because I don't want to, you know, be giving a lesson to a, a client and, you know, I'm hitting snap hooks and pushes and, and hitting a terrible shot. So I want to play well, right? I want to show them that, you know, all the methods that I, I work on on a daily basis actually play out on the course, right? So for me, you know, and on top of that, the first hole is always the most nerve wracking tee shot, especially if it's a tee shot where there's a lot of trouble. And if you know Mystic, the first hole at Mystic is a short par five, but it, to me, it's probably the, one of the toughest tee shots on the golf course. It's only about, you know, if, if you're hitting your four iron about 220, it really is only a four iron to a three hybrid. You could hit a three wood if you want, but I like to hit a four iron and there's, you know, just about 10 yards left of the fairway. There's a forest and then about really only have about five yards to negotiate the right side of the fairway. There's a forest, about a 20, 25 to 30 yard wide fairway, right? So for me, that's probably, you know, the, the most nerve wracking shot that I can hit. It's the first hole and it's a very tight tee shot. And I'm not able to, you know, just take a free swing at my driver. I have to hit something low and straight. So I really have spent a lot of time just working on that breath and, and really just letting everything out. Even, even as I walk from the range to the first hole or to my cart and get in there, I'm walking very slow, even drive the cart slowly. I'm not, you know, keen on really making, you know, wanting to be the first to tee off. And I've found that that's really been able to help. So that's something that I would really start to recommend doing is, is working on your breath work and even working on it, not just two hours before you're around, but you know, if you have dead moments in the day, uh, that's when I like to do it. And it really just, you know, for me, I, I'm more of an anxious person. I find that it'll, it'll help you, you know, through, through your day and just in your life in general to be able to face stressful situations and be able to handle them in a centered way. So I, I like to, you know, make a habit of breathing when I, I take the dog for a walk when I'm driving in the car. Yeah, th those are kind of the two main main areas where I'm going to be doing breathing. Even when I'm, you know, doing uh, paperwork at the end of the day, that's that's when I, I tend to get stressed out because I hate doing stuff like that. So breath work is going to be a big thing for you. So let's talk about the next thing that I want to go through. And a lot of it is about, you know, self-image or the image of what we see the course as, basically the story that we're telling ourselves as we go through a round of golf. Now, I find that uh, one thing I hear from a lot of golfers, and, you know, I was guilty of this for, for many years, is looking at, you know, your clubs as good or bad or looking at holes or hard or easy. And I think this is a trap that, that you get yourself into, and it sort of it gives you an excuse or an out uh, when you have a bad hole, right? So a perfect example of this would be I hear a player say that, oh, I love my 8-iron, but I hate my 6-iron, or... I love my driver, you know, but I hate my putter, right? And you hear this all the time and you probably have certain clubs that you hate and certain clubs that you love. I know in the past I did too, and that's still something that I'm working to overcome. But to me, I, I really made a conscious choice to look at every club and I'll, I'll explain where I got this from because it, it, it kind of came from a, a, the, you know, the back door, but it really makes sense for the way you look at your clubs. I, I believe that you have to really enjoy all of the golf clubs in your bag 
And if there is a club that you don't love, then I'd recommend switching it and getting something in your hands that you really like the feel of, right? But beyond that, I like to look at my clubs as they're all just degrees of loft. They're all the same tool. They're just a different length and a different loft. And they all feel the same to me, right? And that has been a big switch for me because I've always been someone who has said to myself, oh, I don't, I'm not a good driver of the golf ball, A, and I don't like my driver, B. So I've probably had in the 20 years I've played the game, probably 25 to 30 different drivers. And that's probably a low number in terms of what I'm guessing there. But when it comes to my putter, which has always been my favorite, favorite club in my bag, I've probably had five or six different putters, but they've all been, you know, a very similar setup. They've always been in 34 inches, the Scotty Cameron, same loft lie. You know, the model might've changed a little bit here and there. I've recently made a big model change, but it's always kind of been the same thing. And it's a familiar feel what I've gotten used to. So that's another, you know, conscious choice that I made this year is no more, no more tinkering in my golf clubs. I want to find the ideal club club for me and then try and play something similar to that for the rest of the years I'm going to be playing golf. And the perfect example of this at the highest level would be Tiger. Tiger, you know, from the age of, you know, I might be a little bit wrong here, but I'm pretty sure those that set of Mizunos that he played when he was a teenager into when he won the uh, Augusta in, 90, in 97, it was the same loft lie setup, same length, same looking model, right? Like if you go through Tiger's career, he's always played that similar looking blade when it was the Mizunos, then the Titleist, then the Nike, and then to the TaylorMade. He's always played that similar looking feel, right? And that's something that you have to figure out on your own. For me, I like I like Vokey wedges. I like a Scotty Cameron putter. I, I do prefer a, a more of a muscle back TaylorMade iron. And then the new TSI stuff that I have in my long clubs has been has been really beneficial because they just they look very comfortable to me. And even stuff like, you know, I, I had to go a little bit against the fitter uh, that, that I had at Titleist. I thought he was very knowledgeable and he, it was making sense, all the stuff he was saying about dispersion. And, you know, if you set your driver to a little bit of a fade and you, you flatten it out a bit and take a little bit of loft off of it, then you're going to hit it straighter. And for whatever reason, I, you know, I'm, I'm always a tinkerer myself, but I trusted that knowledge and the knowledge was right. It was no doubt about it, but it went against what I like to feel and what I like to see. I actually like to see my driver and this goes against my typical shot shape, but I like to see my driver face a little bit shut and a little bit more loft. So I actually play 10.75 degrees on my driver, which is a high loft for a player in my caliber. But I, if you've played with me before, you know that I hit very, very low. I like to hit the ball very low. So I like to see it just a little bit more loft on the driver and a little bit shut so I can play with it. And I recently switched to that, uh, the SureFit system on the Titleist Club. I, I tweaked it more just back to everything neutral, a little bit more loft. And, you know, I've probably had some of my best driving days in my career in the last few days. So, you know, that's an, another thing, right, is like you have to go into every round feeling really great about your equipment and not looking at it as a, you know, this is bad or this is good. So where I got that mentality from was you know, when the distance chase was sort of getting at its peak with Bryson coming out and hitting these big numbers back, uh, back right around when, when the golfers came out of lockdown, I think it was a quote from a European tour pro, Soren Kelson, and he's one of the shorter players on the tour. I might be getting the player wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's him. And he talks about how, you know, there's not a hole out there that I don't see that I can birdie. And he was referencing, even if there's a 650 yard par five, 250 yard par three it doesn't matter i feel like i can still birdie it and that's coming from one of the shortest players on tour probably hits it in the range of 280 to 300 with his driver so to me that was a very telltale sign that it is true like you, you know even if you're very short out there 
you know, even if you're, uh, you know, shooting typically in the high 90s, low 100s, to me, a player of that caliber, there shouldn't be a hole out there that you can't see a way to parring it, right? Or, you know, a, a golfer from the handicap of 15 and down, there shouldn't be a hole out there that you, you haven't been able to birdie before. Because if you go through your, you know, your 18 best holes, like your best ball you've on your home course, let's say, you've probably birdied every hole, right? So you're 18 under right there. Now, that that's that's a very important thing to think about because a lot of players will, you know, look at, and myself included up until this year, would look at a hole as, oh, this is a hard hole and this is an easy hole. So you set the expectation off the bat that because this is a hard hole, then I'm going to make a bogey or there it's it's more likely I'll settle for a bogey or I'll settle for a double bogey and then move on and then try and make up those shots on, on a harder hole but or on an easier hole. But what if you could go into that hard hole thinking of, okay, this is just another hole. It's a birdie hole. How do I make a birdie here? Right. And then you're making up maybe two shots on the field if you're playing in a tournament, right? Like what if you could take that you if you're a scratch golfer and you hit 300 yards and what if you can play a par four that's 480 yards and actually birdie it well that's a huge confidence boost right so to me if you're you've found a way to birdie it before so that's where a lot of it lies in the mind right now some tactics that i'm gonna employ on harder holes more difficult holes because to me that's you know if you can navigate the hard holes then the easy holes feel like you know like a treat right so if you know Mystic, that there's certain holes out there where, you know, if you just don't hit a certain golf shot, you're going to get penalized, right? I think everyone's felt that before. There's a lot of a lot of long par fours, probably f- five to six par fours over 450 yards where you just got to sort of man up or woman up and hit a tee shot right down the middle. So on let's let's take example. The ninth hole at Mystic is a 470-yard dogleg right par four uh, over two, two canyons. So the first, it, there's not, it's not really a threatening uh, a canyon that you have to hit over, but it's visually intimidating. And you have a forest on the left, a forest on the right, but a very wide fairway bunker in the middle. So even though there's a huge massive landing spot, you don't you don't want to go up the left side, you want to go up the right side because it pro- it's probably going to give you about 20 to 30 yards less going into the green. So on a shot like that, I'm picking a very specific target and not just a target where I want it to land, but something that's, and this is something my coach Ralph always taught me, is pick something way in the distance so you can almost split your target uh, through the middle, right? So I'm picking something, you know, probably 500 yards in the in the distance and something very small, something I'm really going to center in on. Now, when I'm stepping up to a tee shot like that, I'm ensuring I'm not icing myself over the ball, meaning if, if, I'm, if there's a group in the fairway, then I'm not going to, you know, I'm not just going to hang out with my t- ball teed up, glove on, and talking to my playing partners and making swings looking at my target no i'm gonna have my glove off i'm not gonna be teed up i'm gonna be on my phone even if that if that's the right distraction that i need and then as soon as i see that group walking away i'm getting into my process right now really zoning in on that target very much in the distance on a shot like that where it's sort of a do or die scenario i need to hit a certain line i'm thinking about really good tempo and being aggressive through impact right this is where when you have that intimidating tee shot, you get quick from the top, you slow down at the bottom because you're tentative, and then that's when your worst shots come out, right? I, I did it the other night, and you know I, I had to actually tee up another ball and just ensure that, okay, this isn't going to happen again, right? Now, you get through that shot there, then there's this confidence boost because you know on really on any hole, if you can hit it a certain length and you hit your best tee shot, then the approach shot is is generally going to be pretty simple going in there, right? So then the next shot is over another canyon, but it's not really threatening, and the green is always very awkward. So talking about the second shot on a hard par four, 
the thing that I'm very most concerned about, and this would be Tiger's concern, is pin high. To me, even if I miss left or right, I have to be pin high. Leaving it short, you know, especially on harder holes, it's usually the the, the architect is going to leave all the trouble short. So a pin high shot is always, or pin low shot is always going to be penalized a lot greater than a pin high shot. So if I have, let's say I have 155 in, you know, it's going to be my standard nine iron. I'm probably going to take an eight iron and, you know, choke down on a little bit and still swing aggressive, right? So again, swinging aggressive, pin high, picking a very specific line, visualizing and then deep breathing my way through that shot. And then, you know, if you really make a good strike on that shot, you, you feel this deep sense of relief. But then also, it's time to go and make a birdie putt, right? And this is where you try to not tie any emotional attachment to the shot. It's just another shot. It doesn't matter. You could be on any hole in the world. It could be for any circumstance. It's just another putt. It's not a birdie putt. It's not a par putt. It's just another putt. So play around with that, those little things in, in terms of, you know, the way you look at a hole. I find it really has allowed for me to mentally free up on those holes where I'd be you know, I, I would even be thinking about the 13th hole, let's say it's a, it's a really difficult tee shot as I'm starting my day or, you know, I'm getting to the back nine, the 13th hole is on my mind, right? But if you really you allow yourself to go into, you know, every shot is a new shot, it's just a new chance to go through my process, then you don't get so locked up in, oh, this is a hard hole or an easy hole or I have to hit my least favorite club or my, or my best club. It's just, it's just another shot with another degrees of loft and you're trying to execute your routine. So the final mental piece of advice I can give, and for some people this has a huge impact, for others they already do this pretty well naturally, so I would say you can, you know, if you feel like you're one of these people who don't get rattled by other players, then this is something you can maybe skip over, but I find, you know, I've played a lot of rounds alone this year, but then I've also played, the rounds where I've played with people has either been with clients or with family, and there's a lot, a much different mental approach when I play with clients and family as opposed to just by myself. When I'm by myself, it's very easy for me to be not emotionally attached. I'm kind of in a, you know, in a state where I really enjoy playing alone. It's probably my favorite time to play. But with that, there's no real, you know, mental stakes, right? But when I play with a client, there's that pressure of, okay, I want to perform in front of a client. And then when I play with family, I'm just, you know, I'm emotionally charged because I want to beat up on my brothers and my dad. So I'm trying a lot harder, right? And I find by trying a lot harder, I actually get worse. I get more emotional. I get harder on myself. I let things snowball a lot more where if I'm playing alone or with a stranger, then I just let things roll off my back, right? So also too with, uh, you know, playing with a client, it's, it's I want to, well, I'm going to prove to them that, hey, you know, I'm a I'm plus two handicap golfer and I want to show them what under par golf looks like, right? Now, when I get into those traps there, again, I try too hard. There's just, there's too much that I'm trying to force in my game. So I have to consciously tell myself that you're out here alone, right? And sometimes I even have to go as far as, well, I won't do this with a client because I'm obviously coaching them through a, a, a round, but I'm not going to be, you know, looking at someone's, let's say, let's say I'm just playing, you know, a, a standard example of me playing in a tournament. I'm going to, make an active choice to maybe not search for their golf ball or not watch their ball flight. And again, you know, that might sound selfish, but it definitely works in terms of being in your own world. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's the thing that really matters is you're out there for your own game. You're out there for your own improvement. Obviously to have fun too, right? Like fun is a very important part. And, and where I try and get the fun in is kind of the way Lee Trevino would play, where Trevino would lock in 
for the 30 seconds he had to do his pre-shot routine and get into a shot, he was the most selfish guy in the world. But as soon as that shot was hit and it landed, he'd go over to the crowd, talk to someone, make a joke. He'd talk to a playing partner if they were open to talking or even not open to talking. And he would just lighten the mood, right? So that has been something that's very been very beneficial to me because I have found for myself and a lot of golfers, I've seen them, uh, I've seen, I've just been, you know, the one thing I do with clients is I, I really just try and observe what they're doing. I'm not going to really step in and actively coach unless they're willing to, unless they're very, you know, showing me that they want to be actively coached. But I'm just observing what the emotional state is of that player. And I find that players will be so emotionally invested from the first tee. And by about the fifth tee, they're very burnt out, right? And and this is a perfect example of this would be, if you remember back when Beef Johnston, uh, the English player, made a great run at the British Open. I can't remember where, I think it was, it was the year Stenson and Mickelson had that battle back and forth and, and Beef had kind of come out of nowhere and it was kind of his coming out party. And people loved him because he was so charismatic in between his shots and he was getting the crowd fired up. And there was an interview he gave during, and I thought it was honestly one of the best interviews in terms of mental standpoint that you can, uh, you know, you can listen to. And he talked about how I used to be the type of golfer where, you know, for two hours before my round, I was super locked in. And then an hour before warming up, super locked in, trying my hardest, get to the first hole, you know, super quiet, not going to talk to anyone. I'm grinding, grinding, grinding. And he would always say by the fourth hole, he was just exhausted, right? And then by the 10th hole, it was just like, you know, he would always play worse in his last few holes, right? Because he had nothing left to give. So how do we apply a mentality where for the 30 to 60 seconds where we have to hit every shot, we're deadly focused. And then as soon as that shot lands, we forget about it, right? So that's another mentality that Roy McIlroy is very good at. He's talked about that a lot in the past. Again, like I mentioned, Trevino. So that would be something where you know, making an active choice to not be focused on what your playing partners are doing. That would be number one. So especially when playing partners want to give you advice, almost, you know, don't be rude about it, but also just be like, okay, you know, I, I, I typically would say, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And even if it's one of my brothers who I would consider one of my coaches, I'm going to like, I'll sometimes have to step in and say, let's talk about that after. Okay, cool. I'm focused on my own game. I'm focused on beating you right now. So I'm not, this advice is just not going to, it's just not going to resonate, you know, unless it's someone who's my caddy, who's on my bag and we're working our way strategy wise through the round. I'm just going to almost, you know, go in one year, one out, one year and then out the other. And the second would be to lock in for those 30 to 60 seconds. You have to focus on your shot and then tune out, have a good time, enjoy yourself and have fun. Okay, guys, that's it for the show today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested more about you know what Lancaster Golf Performance is exactly and you want to get involved, then you can first check out our Instagram and TikTok. That's where I post a lot of my students' uh, progress and then also daily tips for free at Lancaster Golf Performance on Instagram and TikTok. If you're looking to work with me on a personal basis, then I'd recommend uh, checking out our website, LancasterGolfPerformance.com. You're going you're gonna to find... Uh, some information on my on my academy mystic golf and then you'll also find my academy information for trackman biomechanics lessons in burlington i also run an online academy i've worked with golfers thousands of golfers in about five different countries and I, my the the most 
thing people gravitate towards is the break 80 plan and then also the online email lesson. So if you want to find more information about that, please just email me at LancasterGolfAcademy at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and best of luck with your own golf game.